If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. We are going to do some different stuff today. We're not even going to do the announcements. What do you think about that? Can you, can you handle it? But I'm going to trust you to do something. I'm going to trust you that you'll look over the, what's going on in the church. And uh, particularly if you're new, we would love to hear from you. And there's a little card in there that you could fill out that could uh, enable you to say hello to us. And then a, a very uh, friendly person will uh, say hello back to you. That's how it works. But I want to do something different this morning. Um, I was already going to do this before we realized we were going to um, have kind of a, you know, a snow morning. Why aren't you getting tired of these, the snow? Like, it's really, um, it, it's really, uh, it's, and today was one of the worst because it's like, you know, it happens right when we're getting ready to leave, to come, and volunteers, and all that. It's just, yeah, it just makes life challenging, but... If this is, the, <laughs> this is the hardest thing we got going on in life, I guess life's pretty good, eh? <laughs> so, um, but <clears throat> what I wanted to do this morning, we're going to not do the, we're not going to continue in the Acts series. That'll happen uh, next week. We're already behind anyway, so might as well just let it go. And so, <laughs> we're going to, um, you know how that is, you just give up. No. The, uh, I, I wanted to share with you, I wanted to share with you some things that God has been teaching me. Um, through the uh, experiences that myself and, and the rest of my family have had with my mom, who's become very, uh, very, very sick. Um, it's something actually God's been teaching me uh, since last December. And I don't do this um, very often, usually just, you know, stick with the, stick with the, the plan. Uh, but I, God's really, I mean, it happens every once in a while. You know, you're kind of moving along in life, just, you know, doing reading your Bible, doing all the things you, need, you should do in and, and community, and, and it's good, and it's rich, but there, every once in a while, God comes and really begins to speak to you in dramatic ways, and I would just contend for you to contend for those moments, because that's what makes this life in Christ so exciting. If you've ever looked around, you're like, why are these guys so excited? It's like, because they're, they're really hearing from God, and that's not just the, for the special few. That's an everybody thing. I mean, Alex, this morning, came to us and said, the Bible says that when we gather each one of us. Uh, now, not all of us have an opportunity to share. I'm the only one here with a face mic, but we all hear from God. We all get things from God. And God's been teaching me some things through this experience. For those who don't know what that experience is, about uh, four weeks ago, in fact, exactly four weeks ago, uh, my mom went into the ER. She had a paralysis and lots of pain. Uh, and, the, and after several tests, realized she had Guillain-Barre. And it's, it's, she's left her paralyzed and, um, and, like I said, extreme amount of pain, a lot of, of other issues. And uh, it got really dark and really grim. And she's coming out of it. She's starting to come out of it. We're seeing some really uh, great signs, uh, some movement in the arms. Um, she's, uh, her facial expressions have really, I mean, just you know, smiling and... Um, her breathing is a lot better. Her breathing, uh, she, she couldn't breathe on her own. She still can't breathe on her own, but she's able to go uh, several hours uh, unassisted. Uh, so that's good. So there's some really encouraging signs. She's still in a, in a grim spot, but it's, it's not nearly uh, as bad as it was. And I, I think it's a testimony to prayer. Everyone I talked to has had this. She's way ahead of the curve. 
and we've seen some really dramatic uh, progress. I know a lot of you have been asking, a lot of you have been praying, and so thank you for that. And for those who don't know, I, I wanted to tell you that so what I'm getting ready to say make a little bit more sense. But what God's been teaching me some things, and what he's been teaching me about, he's been teaching me about spiritual warfare, about the nature of spiritual warfare. And those who have been around Jubilee for a while know that we are charismatic. Uh, now, we hope to be the non-weird version of charismatic, um, but charismatics nonetheless. But having said that, we actually don't talk a lot about spiritual warfare. Uh, I, I know that I don't know that I've ever done maybe a message or two about it, but it, I, nothing really comes to mind. Um, but it's also very clear, though, that in the Bible that we are very much in a battle, right? And to not know that is, is to our detriment. It's a battle we can't see, but it's a battle that we experience nonetheless. So you could be experiencing a battle right now and not actually know that you're in a battle. Uh, you can experience the pain and the difficulty and the struggle and the, and the confusion uh, of spiritual warfare, uh, but not even know it. Um, it's not a battle against flesh and blood, but it's a battle against principalities and power, against demonic forces, which I know sounds spooky and weird and all that, but it's it just means that there is, there, is a real, uh, there is a real power behind the systems of this world. It's why people aren't nice. It's why, um, you know, it's why there's cable news. It's why there's, all, there's, why there's war and disease and racism and all the stuff out there. It's, it's behind all of that. It's demonic forces at work. And Paul, uh, who was a New Testament writer. He was one of the key leaders in the New Testament church, and he wrote a lot of letters to the church that we call epistles. And uh, other New Testament writers, including Jesus, said some things too, but he says the most about it. And he, and he says that he doesn't want us to be unaware of the schemes of the enemy, that we can be outwitted by Satan. In fact, the example he uses is, has to do with forgiving people. Like sometimes we can just think that I just don't like that person. But he says, look, I want you to be aware that there, is, there are forces uh, there are demonic forces that are, that are weaving things and accusing you and, and causing you turmoil. And so forgive people. So something as simple as that, as big as, as uh, illness or even death. But make no mistake, you have an enemy, and that enemy wants to take from you, wants to steal from you. And it's been my experience among church folk that we are just happy for him just to take it. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that. He's after something from you, and uh, he, he's after that I'm going to call, he's, gonna, he's after your territory. When I say territory, he's after your influence. There's things that God wants for you. There's purposes and plans that God's have for you that, that the Bible refers to, at least in the Old Testament, as territories, as promise, you know, he talks about the promised land. If you read the narrative of the Old Testament, um, and this gets explained when we read the New Testament, but that God has saved us from some stuff. He has saved us from Egypt. He has saved us from slavery. He has saved us from sin. He has saved us from something, but he's also saved us to something. So like when you become a Christian, I don't know if you noticed this, but when you become a Christian, you didn't go to heaven, did you? If the whole point is to be with Jesus, why don't we just go to heaven? Well, it's not just because he saved us from something, but he's also saved us to something. He saved us to a promised land. He has things for us to walk in. The New Testament language is good works. It's, it's, about, a, it's about a purpose. It's about, um, it's about ministry. I know 
oftentimes when we think about ministry, we think about something that I do, but ministry is something that we all do together. God is wanting, to, or, uh, the enemy, excuse me, is wanting to steal that from you. He's wanting to steal away your effectiveness. He's wanting to steal from you these purpose and plans and destinies. And so um, there's a series of events that I, I want to talk to you about in, in the life of Jesus that we often view as separate events that I do anyway. And this, this, this event, these events together, is one big event. I'm going to show you it's one big event. It's not separate events. It's one big event. Illustrates um, it, well, first of all, it starts with an invitation to, to be with Jesus, and it ends with a showdown with demonic forces. How cool is that? And um, in, in the middle there is a great storm um, that happens. And so what I want to do is I want to read this to you, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some things that I'm learning about how the enemy likes to work. And so this story that we're going to read, these collection of events, they're in, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke. And I'm going to read to you uh, a bit out of Matthew's account, and then I'm going to read a bit out of Mark's account, and, uh, and then we'll chat. So I'm in Matthew um, 8. I'm going to read 18 to uh, 27, and then I'm going to flip over to Mark 5 and read verses 1 through 20. So it's going to take a while. If you've got a Bible out, you might want to like get your eyelids all stretched out so you could see, but we'll try to keep it. Um, here we go. Matthew uh, 8, 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him and they gathered around him uh, because he's healing people, right? You know, he's like, lots of good things are happening. So crowd begins to gather. And so when the crowd gathered around him, he gave orders to go to over to the other side. And we're going to learn about what the other side is here in a bit. And a scribe came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. So look, I want to go with you, but I've got some other things to do. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their dead, which seems harsh, but um, we'll explain that later. And then, and then, so when that happens, and then when he got in the boat, so he invited them to come in the boat. They don't, some don't get in the boat, but some do. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep, that is, Jesus was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith, which is a phrase he only says to the disciples. He says it five times in the New Testament. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you afraid, of a little, oh, you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Okay, so flip over with me to Matthew 5, 1 through 20. This story continues. They came to the other side of the sea. So remember that? He said, let's go to the other side of the sea. And now they've gone through the storm. So some come, some don't. They got, some that went with them went through a storm. And then they finally get to where they're going. And that was known as the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. 
And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of this man. That if Jesus was saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, capital L, Legion, for we are many. Now that Legion was a military term. It was used in the Roman army um, and it referred to a group of special fighting forces, kind of like our Navy SEALs. And it was uh, consisted of upwards of 6,000 men. So this, these demons had a very organized attack against this man in this territory. And so then he begins to negotiate with Jesus, knowing he's going to have to go. And so he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, that's very important. Uh, didn't want to leave the country. Didn't want to leave the territory. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told, um, told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. And then they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region their territory. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Let me go with you, Jesus. Let me go with you, Jesus. And Jesus inexplicably said, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is the region, the area, how much Jesus had done for them. And everyone marveled. Okay. So here's what God's showing me and show, I think wants to show us from this story about spiritual warfare, which again, I've always seen as separate events, but it's one big story. How does the enemy work in your life? How does he keep you from doing what God wants to do in your life? Well, the first thing he does, he distracts you from getting in the boat in the first place. Not all who claim Christ get in the boat. And here it says, that, you know, they're saying, teacher, I'll go with wherever you go, but, you know, I, you, know I, you got to tell me if there's a place there. Tell me what the conditions are like. He's like, hey, look, I just got to tell you. I don't know if you're going to have a place to lay your head. Where I'm going, it's up in the air. Well, I don't know. The conditions aren't right for me to go with you. Everyone's like, I've got, some other, I've got some other more important things to do than go with you. And just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean that you're in the boat. Just because you go to the church doesn't mean you're in the boat. There's this call for us to get in the boat. In fact, Jesus commanded them to get in the boat. He didn't say, hey, you know, as, you know, you're a Christian, but like if you really want to do like second level Christianity, you might consider this. No, he says, get in the boat. The command is to get in the boat. Not everyone got in the boat. Not everybody who calls the name upon the name of Jesus gets in the boat. The boat. How do you know if you're in the boat? Well, you simply put, you do what he tells you to do. You do what he tells you to do. In this time period, if you read Luke's account, 
um, you know, it says that, you know, he was, he was uh, his, his mother and his brother and his uh, sisters, his family were concerned about him and they were looking for him. And he says this, he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In other words, the people who are in relationship with Jesus are on mission with Jesus. They get in the boat. Um, If you read all throughout the Bible, you'll notice that every time someone has an experience with God, it always leads to getting in the boat. It always leads to being on mission. The plan and purpose that he has for your life. God has a plan and a purpose. Most people don't know this, but he does. He has a plan and purpose for your life. It's possible to to have ownership of something, but actually not know that you have ownership of something. I read this week that in Missouri alone, there's over $1 billion worth of unclaimed property. Some of you are like, really? I didn't like, go find out if some of this me. There's over a billion dollars of un- in the nationwide, 66 billion. People own things that they don't know that they own. I've been a pastor for 14 years. You know what I've learned? You and I have more stuff than we've realized. There's a lot of, there are purposes for your life. There are plans that he has for your life. There's a destiny over your life that maybe you don't even know that you have. The only way that you'll know that you have it is if you get in the boat. And not everyone gets in the boat. Um, To be on mission with Jesus to, excuse me, to be, to be in relationship with Jesus, to encounter him, is to be on mission with him. We see that in Abraham. We see that in Moses. Abraham, you know, he comes, he meets God for the first time, and God says, go, leave your country. I'm sending you on a new mission. Moses comes to the burning bush. He has this experience with God, and he says, I want you to go to Egypt. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I've got a destiny for your life. Peter, uh, Jesus comes along. He blesses his fishing business. Peter comes to his knees, has an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus says, you will no longer be catching fish. You, from now on, you'll be catching men. I have a new mission for you. Paul on the Damascus Road, we're gonna read this as we go through Acts, and we will continue in Acts, I promise you. On the Damascus Road, he encounters God. He encounters Jesus on this road. And Jesus says to him, I'm going to show you this, the plan and purposes I have Every time in the Bible someone has an authentic counter with Jesus, it always leads to him getting into the boat to being on mission. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, we, we quote this a lot of time in like membership. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, as you come to Jesus, he builds you into his local church. He builds you into this spiritual house called the church. And the purpose of the church is to proclaim the excellencies of him, that we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous. It always leads to mission. So what happens when we get in the boat? What happens when we get in the boat? Well, storms come, right? So, you know, it's like, there's a reason why some people don't like getting in there because there's a storm. And what's, this is like a legit storm. This isn't like, you know, just, you know, like a few, a little rain, a little thunder. They were in a boat. In fact, they were, it was so serious. They thought they were going to die. And many of you are going through some pretty legit issues, um, some of you are experiencing sickness yourself. You're getting reports on cancer of people that you love have cancer. I'm hearing reports of betrayal. People that you thought loved you, you're finding out don't love you the way that you thought they did. Some of you are experiencing betrayal. Um, some of you are having just agony with family. It just 
feels like this, 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 this stuff that comes out of the blue. It just comes out of the blue. It's coming upon you. It's causing you to be fearful. It's causing you to feel chaotic. It's, it's just orientating you. And in, I, well, what does Jesus do when these storms come? He sleeps. When storms come, what does Jesus do? He sleeps, which doesn't make us feel very good. In fact, you know what it makes us feel like? It makes us feel like he doesn't love us. Where are you, God? In fact, they say, save us. Don't you, don't you care? We're perishing. We worry, he sleeps. Disciples think he doesn't care. If he cared, he'd do something about it. When storms come in our life, what do we want God to do with the storm? We want him to get rid of it. Now, what's interesting, what Jesus does here, which I never saw this before until recently, is that before he, he does end up rebuking the storm, as you know, but before he rebuked the storm, he rebuked the disciples. Before he rebuked the storms, he rebuked the disciples, not be, for disturbing Jesus. You know, he was, hey, why'd you wake me up? You know, like, it's getting like, I, was t- <laughs> I woke up my daughter earlier this week and I woke her up and she looked at me and she was like, you, I was, didn't get to finish my dream. And then like, you know, <laughs> goes back to bed. Um, that's not what's going on here. He wasn't rebuking them for disturbing uh, Jesus with their prayers, but disturbing themselves with their fears. You see, when we experience a storm, we want Jesus to get rid of the storm. But what Jesus wants to do, he wants to get rid of our doubt. You want him to get rid of the storm, he wants to get rid of your doubt. I mean, that was my need. When, when this, this came upon, you know, when, when this storm came in my life with, with my mom, I, I gotta be honest with you, I didn't say, God, will you please teach me about trusting you? That was not my prayer. My prayer was get rid of the storm. I want the storm to end. It wasn't teach me faith. And faith is really valuable in the scripture. So Jesus said that if you have faith of a mustard seed, which is really, really small, you can move a mountain. And when we get a hold of faith, there's something valuable. That's why James says, consider it a pure joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of many kinds. There are many kinds of trials. You get through one and there's another one. You get through many, when you, because God is producing something through that. Now, God works things for good, but make no mistake, this is something that's come from the enemy. Otherwise, Jesus would not have rebuked the storm. Uh, you know, some people think, you know, I mean, God, God has a way of working out all things for good, but, but God is not around, God's not behind the storms in your life. He uses the storms, but he's not behind. Jesus would not have rebuked the storm if it came from God, right? God would not, Jesus would not rebuke a storm. He wouldn't say like, oh, this, I know this is from you, God, because you're in control, but I'm gonna rebuke what you're doing. That doesn't, a house divided against itself can't stand. That isn't what's going on here. Jesus, now Jesus experienced bad things, namely the cross that he didn't rebuke. So it's not like anything bad that we rebuke. Uh, Jesus had the wisdom and the spiritual insight to know what was God and what wasn't. We don't, we're just like, you know, we, so I think it's good to pray both ways, to pray for faith and encouragement as well as pray for healing. So we need to learn both those things. But we go through these times these, we go through these times of, of trouble, and they could be all different kinds. It could be discouragement. I've experienced discouragement as a, as, as a leader. 
I mean, it's, it was seven years ago, and most of you went around then. I said, but like, I, we had this big vision for church plant. We still do. And I, this first time I announced it, and we were going to raise $100,000 every single year. And the first time we did it, we, we, I'd say, okay, we're going to raise, like, we're going to, I mean, I like prayed about this for like a month, and I was super behind it. I knew it was God, and we're going to raise 100000 We raised twelve grand. I was really discouraged. Um, I was like, I mean, embarrassingly discouraged. Like, I really, I wanted to quit. It's only time, one of the few times, now it's been seven years, you know, statute of limitations, it's over. So, like, it's, <laughs> but I wanted to quit, not quit my job. I, was, I would never do that, but I just, I wouldn't get in the boat anymore. I just wouldn't try anymore. I, I you know, Christians can go through the motions and so can pastors. Um, unfortunately. I wanted to quit. Discouragement has been a storm in my life. Roadblocks have been a storm. We know we're going through this. We're trying to purchase this. We have purchased this piece of land in Sunset Hills, and we're going to be building on it soon in, in April. But there's been tons of roadblocks, big ones. I mean, stuff that, I mean, I've been honest to you about that, but it's just been challenging. Like, oh, we have to go through this, go through this, go through this, go through this. And God puts roadblocks. And then he puts pain and suffering, like what I'm going through. My, and you guys are experiencing the same thing, like I said. Like we, we, go, we all have storms. But what I want to, what's really important is to understand that the enemy is trying to create chaos and fear. And when you give in to the chaos, when you give in to the confusion, when you give in to the fear, that's what he wants. Let's not be unaware of this scheme. The Bible says that he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. In Matthew 4, we read about this. He, he's, the, the enemy comes to tempt him, to lead him away. And then, I don't know if you ever caught this, at the end of that time of temptation, before he leaves, it says the enemy left him for a more opportune time. Let me ask you a question. Is this an opportune time in your life? for the enemy to come to lead you away. He's looking for an opportune time in your life, in my life. And my concern for us at Jubilee Church is that we would just accept things as normal, that we would accept sickness as normal, we would accept a lack of fruit in our life as normal, that we would just accept these things and never realize that the enemy is apt to destroy, not us, but the work of God in our life. So anyway, so they... they, Surprise, surprise, Jesus calms the storm. And the, in Mark 5, 1, it says they came to the other side of the sea and they came to this country of the Gerasene. So, th- so this is where Jesus is wanting to go. So from the very beginning, when he left the crowd, he says, come on, guys, let's go to the other side. Some came, some didn't. They encountered a big storm. Somebody did not want them to get to the other side. They get to the other side. And as soon as he stepped foot on this land, this hairy, grotesque figure comes running toward him. And it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice and said, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, some people have wrongly assumed that because he, he knew that he was the son of God and because he bowed down on his knees, that he was worshiping Jesus. Um, but that's not true. Um, 
In fact, in this time period, knowing the name of someone accurately was believed to give you control over that person since the name stood for the nature of that person. So that's often why Jesus would change the name of people, saying, you have a new nature. You were once called this, now I call you this. And so in this time period, knowing the name of someone was believed to give you control over that person. This demon was not seeking to worship Jesus, but control Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. If he would be so bold as to try to control Jesus, don't you think he would try to control you? The answer to that question is yes, he would. He has a plan. It was so violent in this man's life, it got, he got him to hide out in the tombs harming himself. In fact, it says night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. Some of you are your own worst enemy. Like the enemy doesn't, you just, he's lying to you, speaking to you, and he's got you to hide away in a tomb where there's no one else except dead people to cut yourself, to speak, um, Death over yourself. You see, the Bible says that, that in the tongue, in, the, in your tongue, in your, in your speech, life and death is in the tongue. Life and death. And some of you, you see, what, you see the, 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 one of the names of, of the devil is the accuser. He is called, one of his names is the accuser of the brethren. And he is, some of you have been hiding out in these tombs and caves and, he, and you are believe you are rejected. No one loves you. Your life is not going to amount to anything. And you just cut yourself and cut yourself and cut yourself. And cut. Let me just say, that, those were, that idea that you're nothing, that idea that you'll never amount to nothing is not from God. There's a voice speaking that to you, but it's not from God. It's from the enemy. And this is what he comes. He, he, he encountered this demonic force. And it was a very large demonic force. It was up to 6,000 demons. And it was very organized demonic force. The enemy will, will seek to create confusion in your life. But he is not confused. He is not disorganized. He will seek to bring disorganization. But he himself is very organized. And this was a very organized attack against this Man, and the only and some of you are experiencing attack. And the only reason why we don't experience more attack actually is that somebody is praying for you. I just want to encourage you to, you know, there's something called intercession, which basically means that you stand in the gap, you stand in the gap in prayer to pray for someone else. Um my, my, I know this now, I didn't know this when I was growing up, but while I was growing up and was not following God at all my parents interceded for me. They got visions and words and prophetic words for my life that have to do exactly what I'm doing now. But it didn't look that way, but they interceded. Let me show you something that Jesus actually said about this, about the value of intercession that always, it also sheds light on what the enemy's up to. It says, this is Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Now, there are a couple of verses in the Bible that really scare me. One of those is where it says that teachers will be double judged, right? I mean, I, I think about that. Like, they didn't tell me that before I took this job. But, <laughs> but teachers, so I, I worry about, this one scares me too. Because when I read this, I sit there and think like, 
I wonder what Satan is demanding to do to me. Because actually, when you read the Bible, you find quite often that the enemy is negotiating with God about what he can and cannot do with people who walk this earth. He did it with Job. He did it with Jesus in the desert. He's doing it with this man in this region, and he's doing it here. And the only reason what the only reason why the enemy didn't sift him like wheat is because Jesus interceded for him. We need to intercede for people. We need to, we need to know that the enemy is at work and we need to pray for each other. We need to be on our guard. We need to not to be unaware of what the enemy wants to do. What does the enemy want to do in our lives? What is it that the enemy is after? What's his end game? He's got schemes. He's got ways. What is he wanting to do? I'll tell you what he's wanting to do. It says it in verse 510. He says, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country or the territory. You see, here's the thing. When the enemy comes to attack you, he's, not, he's fighting you, but he's not after you. You know what he's after? He's after your territory. And when I say territory, I mean your influence. I mean the things that God wants to do in your life. Uh, the demons were not interested in, the demons were not interested in this man. They were interested in this territory. They didn't want to leave. They're like, hey, I know I got to go. If you say go, we, I know I have to go. But his negotiation was, please don't make me leave the territory. Don't send us out of the region. Now, I never saw this until recently. Because I always saw this as three, you know, one story about the cost of discipleship. One story about how Jesus is always with us in the storms. And then another one about how much more valuable you are than pigs. And the cool thing is, because I like math, is that you can even figure out the, your value because you know there are 2,000 pigs and you can figure out the value of a pig and it's a sermon with math. And I love sermons with math. But that's actually not what it's about. Although those things are true. This is a story about the enemy's pursuit of your territory of your influence, of your impact, of the things that God wants to do in your life. Some of you don't even get in the boat. Some of you don't even know what it is. And he beats you before you even start. Some of you get, lose it in the storm stage. And here, we, the plan of the enemy gets uncovered. You see, I bet you... I bet you that the enemy knew what you were going to be long before you did. And for some of you, he sent a storm in your life, probably when you're very young. And he did some things to keep you from entering into this territory, from entering into this place of influence and kingdom advancement. He sent addictions your way. He sent rejection your way. He sent sexual brokenness your way. He went after your kids. He went after your confidence. But it was never, ever, ever, ever about you. It was always about the territory that God wanted to give you. It was always about the influence and the impact that he wanted to make 
in your life. And if you don't see that, you won't miss the point. See, here's the thing. I, I, when I experience storms, when I experience attack, I, I get quickly focused in on myself. I start thinking about me and what he's doing to me. And I've always thought it was about me. But, and then I realize, well, wait a minute. Why, why is this all this attention on me? Why am I making this about me? Well, that's exactly what he wants. See, Jesus never said, pick up your mirror daily and follow me. Like, that's not what he said. He didn't say, seek first yourself, and then the kingdom will be added. He says, don't look at yourself. You got to look at me. You got to look at the, you got to pick up your cross. You got to deny yourself. You got to keep looking at me. You got to seek the kingdom first, and all these other things will be added. What is, what is the enemy trying to take from you? Well, he's not trying to take you. If you're a Christian here this morning, the Bible says that you have been bought with a price. He can't have you. He knows he can't have you. But he says, if I can't have this man, don't make me leave the territory. He can't have you. He's already lost you. Jesus paid with his own blood. If there was a discrepancy in the price that he paid, maybe we can negotiate over that. But he gave his life for you. You're his. He will never, you'll never fall out of his hand. But you can give up you can lose an inheritance that he has for you. You can lose your purpose. You can lose the promise. You can lose the territory that he has for you because that's what the enemy really wants. And that's why he, because I always like, why, you know, why is he doing this? Why, you know, why did, because he's after your territory. Now, one little thing before I bring this to a close um, I, I just learned, I mean, I, there's more here I could say, but there's just a ton of stuff. I mean, I was up in the hospital for a hundred hours and I didn't have, I was reading commentary. I was, there's some things about this story that I never noticed. Actually, I'm quite embarrassed that I'd never noticed this. And, and, and you, you guys probably figured this out already. But one of the things I never really noticed until recently is that this land, the garrisons was, of the garrisons was inhabited mostly by or exclusively by Gentiles. And Gentiles were non-Jewish people. People and Jews and Gentiles did not get, I mean, you, you talk about racism and division. They were just not together. And this is the first time Jesus goes into Gentile territory, which for whatever reason just went totally over my head, which it shouldn't have gone over my head because I don't know a whole lot of Orthodox Jews who are also pig farmers. Like that just doesn't, like I should have picked up on that, but I just for whatever reason, because did, it didn't say it explicitly and I've just always just believed whatever the Sunday school teacher taught me about it and I just, I missed it. So here's this Jewish rabbi, because, because you think about that, because I always thought about like why, the, and I'm sitting there thinking in the house, why the pigs? Why not horses or cows or some other animal? Like why pigs? And... Um, so Jesus is just right. He makes decoration on this Gentile territory. And so now I'm not so sure that when Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, I'm not so sure if he's talking about geography or if he's talking about nationality. When he says, let's go over to the other side, let's go over to this area where there's, where there's been this, and maybe now it makes a little more sense. Like, hey, Jesus, I'm with you, but I'm not with you over there. I'll go this far, but I won't go that far. You talking about Gentiles? You talking about another race? 
And when you make moves into, when you start, if you talk about something that the enemy wants to have a strong grip upon, that's keeping culture separate, that's keeping gender separate, that's keeping people together, keep them, because he wants to be a part of the dividing wall that keeps us in a place of hostility. He doesn't want to see the gospel come in and level that to see his grace and his blood and the power of his blood abide to where all tongues, all nations, all tribes confess So you have, and, and it makes sense that, that it would be pigs. Because I, again, I was like, oh, why the pigs? Why the pigs? Why the pigs? If you think about, because he's like, okay, I can't have this man, but send me some, I want to go somewhere else where I can have a stronghold on this region. Because I, I, I was able to have a stronghold on this region through this man. If you're going to send me out of this man, how can I have a stronghold? And I think pigs were an, a brilliant move on the enemy's part. I mean, I could even see it in the newspaper the next day, in the Gentile Gazette. Pig hater kills a herd of swine. And when you, when you think about the division that is in our country right now, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. There, is a, there are demonic forces behind stuff. And it's not just Jubilee, but I would say over the last five or 10 years, churches in this country have made a more concerted effort to bring together races. And in a time, I mean, there's been all, and then this is, this is an area that in our country that the enemy has had a stronghold over. And here, here have churches come over saying, you know, we're not going to give in to this. We're going to fight this. We're going to go after this. And what do we read about and hear about over and over and over again? And it's easy to get caught up in the narratives. It's easy to get caught up in the air notes, but we need to have the discernment to know, no, we're not going to give in to that. We're going we're, we're to take a stand and realize that we have been sent here for a reason. We've been sent here to be a witness to the gospel. And check out what happens. First of all, it seems like the short term, like the enemy won because he, they get sent into the pigs. Um, the whole town doesn't say, hey, we want to hear more. It says, we want you to leave. And the enemy must have been pretty proud of himself because he thought, well, wait a minute. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, it worked. It usually doesn't work for me. You know, you, it, it usually goes bad for me, but it, it's working. No one, every, Jesus left. Nobody wants Jesus to go. Or sorry, no one wants Jesus to stay. They want him to go. But then the story, before it gets to end, the, the guy who was demon-possessed is like, I don't want to stay here either. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. You stay. You stay in this land. You stay in this area. Now, what ended up happening, if you read on in Mark, when you get in chapter seven, chapter eight, he comes back. Uh, he comes back to this area. He comes back to the area of the capitalists. But this time, when he comes back, this time when he comes back, there is a crowd of four thousand people waiting for him. You see, sometimes God leaves us in our pain. Sometimes God allows things to happen, but He always He always 
has a redemptive plan in mind. And what the enemy meant short, short term, and actually had a short-term victory, ended up being a long-term win for the kingdoms because this man was dramatically different and he gave witness to that. And here's something I've seen with my mom. Now, my, my mom, she doesn't want to be in, doesn't want to be paralyzed on a bed. I don't want her to be paralyzed on a bed. But let me tell you something that's happened. I've seen this church, I've seen Jubilee Church respond in prayer and in faith in ways that I've never seen a church respond in prayer. I mean, by a long, I mean, we've done building projects. We've done church, remember the church planning thing that we, you know, that I talked about earlier? We've, we've tried to inspire you to pray and pray and pray and, and we felt like we've given you good reasons to pray, but, but the person who is able to inspire a church to pray like it's ever prayed before is a woman paralyzed and in pain in a hospital ICU, unable to talk. My mom has done, has affected more ministry in the last four weeks than maybe she has in her life. She's been able to affect more faith in prayer than I have leading his church 14 years. Paralyzed, in immense pain. The stuff that you go through, the battles that you fight, God isn't uninterested in your pain. In fact, it says in the, in the, in the scriptures, in the Psalms, that he takes every one of your tears and he keeps them in a bottle. He's aware of every ounce of pain. But what he really wants to do in your life, he, he wants to bring you on a journey. He wants to say, he says to you, come, come with me on this journey. Get in the boat with me. There's gonna be a storm, but I'm bigger than the storm. You don't need to fear. He's gonna teach you about faith. You're gonna experience things in your life. You probably have already. If you haven't yet, you will. It's not a threat. It's just the way life is. And it's never about you. But it's about the influence in your life. That's what the enemy is after. If you want the enemy to win in your life, don't get in the boat. If you want the enemy to win in your life, give in to fear. If you want the enemy to win in your life, ignore the plan and the purposes he has for you. Because it's never about you. He's not after you. He's after your territory. He's after your influence. He's after the plan and purposes in your life. And he, will, he doesn't fight fair. He will use a weakness of yours, yours and he'll twist that until you say uncle and quit. But you have brothers. In fact, look to your left and right. I know there's not many of us here, but there, there are brothers and sisters here. There are brothers and sisters who are praying for you. I'm praying for you, interceding for you. Jesus is praying for you. And we have his spirit to guide us and empower us. He hasn't left us alone. Don't be outwitted by the enemy. Don't give in to his schemes. But fight and know that it's never ever about you, 
but it's about the ministry and mission that God has for you. It's about the influence in your life. You have no idea what God will do in your life. I mean, people look at me and say, well, you're a pastor. Of course, you're supposed to say stuff like that. Well, listen, like I, like I can remember not too long ago just being in a place where I couldn't even spell church, much less lead a church or go to a church. I had, I had no intention of ever going to a church. And God came to me and opened a door. And, and I, I can't tell you that just every day is, there's someone to love, someone to care for, someone to do. And it's not because I have th- this position. It's because of what God wants to do in your life. And there are many of you who are like that. Many of you could tell, could tell stories like I am, where you just had never thought that God had what God had in store for you. But he has big things in store for you. Don't let the enemy take that from you. It's what he's after. Don't let him have it. Why don't we stand? I want to pray for us. I want to pray for those, a few different people. Some of you are going through storms right now, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God give you faith. And I just want to pray that God would encourage you in, the, in this storm. I want to pray for those who, um, who don't know who, what they have in Christ. Some of you have unclaimed property that you don't even know that you own. And you never... You don't know that you own it. You, don't, you, you didn't know that you own it, but you own it. One of the ways that you know you own it too is you fight for it. I mean, I, like the other day I was, and you probably had this situation too, like I look outside my window every once in a while and I'll notice someone walking a dog. And I'll notice that dog start to like go to the bathroom in the yard. And I'll get interested until I realize it's my neighbor's yard. I'm like, oh, I don't really care about that. It's my neighbor's yard. But when it happens in my yard, there's something in me that wants to fight. No, I don't fight. But there's something in me that wants to fight. Like, who is this person? Da, 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 da. One of the ways that you know that you have territory that God has given you is that you're willing to fight for it. That you're willing to do something about it. And if you're feeling apathetic about life and what God has for you, it's a sign for you that you may have some property that you don't know about, that you may have some territory that you don't know about. And the invitation from God to you this morning is to get in that boat. You haven't been in that boat. You've had good reasons in your mind anyway for not getting in the boat, but get in that boat. Get in that boat. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you that you made a promise to us to never leave us or forsake us. It was a promise that cost you your life. You gave your life. You spilt your blood to make and keep the promise that you would be with us and you are with us. I just want to pray for my... If you're just in a storm, I'm praying for you right now. For my brothers and sisters experiencing a storm right now, God, I pray that you would meet them right now in their pain. To know that you... So they know that you're there that they know that you care for them and to know that you are teaching them something even more valuable than if you'd taken away the storm. If the storm still exists, there's something more valuable out there. I know it's hard to see. You can't see it. The disciples couldn't see it. It's hard to see, but may God allow you to see 
that he has something even better in mind if that storm is continuing. Just pray you minister to my brothers and sisters in the storm. Some of you are, it's even worse in a storm. You're, you're in the caves. You're cutting yourself night and day with your tongue. Jesus this morning is calling you out of your cave. He wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from the own from the bondage that you put yourself into.